Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you uh, this morning. And uh, as we continue to worship, as we do every uh, Sunday at Redemption Church, we gather to sing praises to God, to sing uh, gospel truths over one another. We spend time in prayer and communion uh, and the reading and and preaching of God's word. Um, Before we get started with that, I want to pray again, but uh, why don't everybody just take a minute and a half to say hello to somebody next to you? Just do that. As you uh, find your seats again, um, it's pretty cool. I, I don't know whether to celebrate this or to worry that the conversational fellowship can be a little louder than the singing of the songs. Um, that's a good thing, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but it's really good to see and hear everyone this morning. Uh, we are excited as we are... Um, Today and next week we'll conclude the book of Hebrews where we've been for the past 10 months and look forward to doing, um, hearing uh, several messages from different uh, leaders in the church uh, in the month of July and into August. And then uh, in September, by God's grace, we will begin the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, so there's exciting times together uh, as we worship. So if you have the book of Hebrews, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, we'll be in verses 17 and 19 today. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have some here we'd love to give to you as a gift, uh, or the words will be on the screen uh, above my head there if you'd like to read along. So let me pray as we launch into the study of God's Word this morning. Father God in heaven, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving Father who pursues your children. Uh, God, that your love is unrelenting and, and indeed furious, awakening dead hearts to life. And God, I pray uh, that you would be with us this morning as we continue to worship Um, God, as we open up your scriptures, your word that you've inspired, I pray that you would bring to mind an understanding and our hearts would be receptive to the good news of Jesus, that by your spirit, through your word, you would shape us to be uh, more and more like Jesus, that you would shape us to be your people redeemed, uh, rescued, renewed. Uh, God, I pray that you would this morning awaken dead hearts to life. God, I pray that you would um, to renew a weary heart. God, that you would lift Um, tired hands and lift sad faces, Lord, that you would renew us all uh, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So, Lord, we give you this time and pray that you use it for the way that best glorifies you, brings us joy, and advances the gospel to the nations. We ask in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus uh, redeems and defines true gospel influence. Leadership and influence is redeemed by Christ and is indeed defined by Jesus himself. What comes to mind when I say the word leadership? Just when I say the word leadership, maybe you have in your mind a military commander or a political figure or or someone who is a cultural and and social uh, leader of of some sort of movement. Maybe there are religious leaders, pastors, teachers, what have you. What comes to mind when I say the word leadership? And then think about some misconceptions or misapplications of leadership. I mean, leadership's a huge buzzword. You can hit any bookstore and look at uh, the business section. You know, there's some great, helpful business books out there about, you know, leaders who last and being going from good to great and all this great stuff. It's very helpful practically. But sometimes in the midst of leadership, we see leaders can be uh, corrupt. We see leaders can be weak. Sometimes we see that leadership is misused and mishandled. Other times we see that leadership is totally neglected. You see, but leadership is a, is a God-ordained structure, and it is something that, like all aspects of humanity, can be broken, can be weak, can fail, but also, like aspects of humanity, can be redeemed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking in the book of Hebrews, as we've seen for 12 chapters, about how Jesus is the true and better priest, the true and better prophet, our true and better king, our true and better rescuer, and how this changes everything for us. And then we've seen in the past few verses in Hebrews 13, where it gets a little more practical, as the writer is concluding this letter to the early church, is concluding with some very practical aspects of of redemption, some practical aspects of, of building up our hearts in grace. Right, And so I want to submit to you this morning, as we look at a couple verses here, uh, I want us to, to approach it humbly as we approach Scripture. I want us to uh, pray that God will, will strengthen all of us uh, personally and also as a church in the aspect of, of gospel influence. Because when we look uh, to our leaders around us, you can see that uh, imperfect leaders lead imperfectly. Imperfect leaders lead imperfectly, and there's only one perfect person who's ever lived, and that's Jesus. So if we're going to look at what it means to have a solid leadership with gospel influence, we have to look to Jesus, right? Because if we look anywhere else, we see that there's nothing but brokenness and failure. Even the best fail at some point. So um, I'm going to start by saying this. This is written to the first century church. Uh, There's some clear instruction about what people are to be doing in relationship uh, to their leaders in the church. And so as we look at these uh, few verses again and this instruction, I want us to think uh, not only about uh, the first century church in regards to leadership, but also uh, where what areas of influence has God placed you? I mean, maybe you are a leader of a business or a leader of something in your school. Maybe you are a leader in your culture because you're a musician or artist or you have a business. Or maybe you lead something in your neighborhood. Or even if you're not a leader, what, where has God placed you for gospel influence? Because God places all of his people somewhere for influence in the home, 
as a parent, as a grandparent, in the neighborhood in which you live, as a neighbor. So think about those things as we uh, look to this uh, today and see how true gospel leadership is reliant on Jesus and points others to Jesus. So a couple things the scriptures tell us here. I'll read it again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let's stop right there for a second. We're going to look at what it means to obey and to submit. Now I can feel everybody kind of take a step back because we don't like the words obey and submit in our culture, right? The reason why is because it's been corrupted, abused, and misused. Okay, the author here is writing to the church and is speaking specifically to leaders within the first century church. If you could transport yourself back in time to the first century, it's during the time of the Roman Empire. It's, it's thriving, right? And then it collapses eventually, but there's still uh, leaders in place with the emperor and governors, and uh, there's, there's governmental oppression and corruption. There's actually religious leaders who were corrupt in, in the first century. And so the first century church, just a couple decades old, a couple decades after Jesus here, trying to figure out how do we operate as a church. I mean, we're, we're resistant of any kind of authority. Or maybe the authority is corrupt. Maybe we don't know if we can trust them or not. Maybe the authority will abuse us. And you and I approach that the same way today. So I don't know about you. I, I read this and say, obey your leaders and submit to them. It can sound heavy-handed. Let me tell you that in light of the gospel, biblically, obedience and submission is not heavy-handed. It's not oppressive. It's actually very freeing if it's in light of the gospel. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this obedience, submission, and prayer. It's the three things we're going to look at today in regards to gospel influence because they're very much related. Okay, look at the first statement. Obey your leaders. We don't like to talk about obedience, but we are today. Okay. Biblically, there is great strength in obedience. Obedience means to, to follow the instruction of someone, right? Biblically, we see that God commands obedience to his people. We see that obedience is something that Jesus does in submission to the Father. Jesus Christ obeys the will of his Father. And we've seen in the previous verses in chapter 13, if we look back to uh, verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so just a few verses before today's passage, we see the writer says, hey, remember your leaders, imitate their faith. And then we look over here in verse 17, and then it says, obey your leaders. So what are we going to see here is the relationship between obedience and imitation of faith, because at its core, obeying God is an act of faith, and obeying the leaders God has in place is an act of faith toward God. Now, this is where it gets hard because you're like, well, wait, that's easy for you, Jeremy. You're the, the big pastor of the church. Well, listen, I'm one of four pastors of Redemption Church. We operate in mutual submission. Uh, we have Reggie Horn, Ben Ritchie, Jeremy Carr, and Jason Webb. And we meet the four of us together, and we make decisions together. I'm just the guy with the microphone most of the time. It doesn't mean I'm the hierarchical dictator of the church and what I say goes. It means that I trust that the Lord has put in place other men to help lead this church, and I submit to them. We have mutual submission. That means if I get outvoted, I have to just sit on my hands, I cry a little bit, and then I say, all right, I trust you, Lord. I didn't get my way, but I trust that the Lord has placed other men in my life for my good and the good of the church. In the same way, we see here that Scripture says in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
And so we see that obedience to leadership that God has placed uh, for your good has to be obedience to leaders who are obeying Jesus. So what this means for you and I today is if you come across somebody who says, hey, I'm a leader uh, for the Lord and their life is a disaster and they have unrepentant sin in their life and they're doing horrible things, just think, this is awful to say, but I read it in a biblical commentary, so I guess I have to say it. Think somebody like Jim Jones or a cult leader that calls together people in the name of the Lord as a false prophet and gives them Kool-Aid and does evil things. We don't obey somebody like that. Why? Because we don't obey somebody who is not exhibiting faith that's worth imitation. Right? Verse 7 in Hebrews 13 says, Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, Obey your leaders. Obedience to Christian leaders means that you are imitating the faith that Christian leaders are leading. If they're not leading in that area, don't follow. Don't obey. Right? So for the first century church to hear this, it is God speaking through the author of Hebrews saying, I am placing before you people for your good and for your joy who are going to lead you in a certain way. And they're only leading in so much as they are following Jesus. Are you with me? It's kind of hard to talk about. So what I'm wanting to get at is leaders first and foremost have to be followers. And so if somebody says they're a leader and they're not following well, they're not really a leader. Someone who leads well is someone who follows well. Someone who leads gospel mission is someone who is following Jesus' mission. Somebody who leads and says, I want all of us to obey is someone who is first obeying God through his scriptures, right? And so leaders who are to be obeyed are leaders who have lives worthy of imitation, faith worthy of imitation. You with me? And so for scripture to say, obey your leaders, it is a statement to say, really, obey God. Obey God, because that guy is obeying God, so obey him because he's just obeying God. By God's grace, all you will ever hear from this area, the stage, or from this microphone, or from this mouth, or from my life, by God's grace, is something that is biblical, saying, imitate this, imitate this. I I probably will never, I should never say, no leader should ever say, if you want to be godly, live your life just like mine. If you want to be godly, buy these kind of shoes. If you want to be godly, drive that kind of minivan. huh? If you want to be godly, coach soccer on Mondays and Thursdays. That doesn't make any sense. That's somebody calling you to imitate their life. Scripture says to imitate their faith. So we say, obey, uh, obey the Lord, trust the Lord, imitate faith. Obey leaders in so much as they are saying, hey, imitate faith. Recently, my wife read a book, uh, and I couldn't read it, so I just watched the movie. It was a made-for-TV movie in the late 90s. It wasn't very good, but it was still kind of funny. And actually, it wasn't funny. That's awful. It was about the, um, I can't remember the name of it. It was about a, a group of guys that were climbing Everest, and not all the guys made it. It was not funny. It was horrible. The reason the movie was funny is because the guy who was one of the main characters is the guy who played Shooter McGowan in the Happy Gilmore movie. And so the whole time, I was just thinking, I was waiting on the guy to go, whoo, yeah, you know. Um, but he never did that in the movie. Instead, he was, like, fighting for his life. So it wasn't funny. It's awful. It's a true story. Uh, but one of the things, I was watching this movie and thinking of how it goes along with leadership. You have guys who are, who are uh, ascending the summit of Mount Everest, right? And they each have different roles as they function. They're they're all uh, tied in together. They're all like looped in and roped in. I don't climb stuff, so, you know, I don't know how that works, but you're all roped in, so you are in this together. If somebody slips, they're not going to go over the ledge because you're roped in and everybody anchors in, right? But there's one point man who has to go up an edifice before everybody else and put in little 
hooks and what are they called? Mountain climber people? You know, he has to put in things. Anchors, what are they called? Those things. Puts those things in. And so that one person, they've all agreed together that that is where we're going. We are going that way. All of us are in agreement. We're all roped in together. But one person has to go up first to put in those little hooky things so the rest of us can climb up. That guy is the leader. He's the leader because he is going along with the vision that they have set, that they've seen before them. But that one person has to do it. And then everybody else has to follow suit. In the same way, biblically, biblically, Jesus is the one who goes before us. And then he puts in the hook lines for us. And then there has to be the first follower is really a leader. right? The first guy that says, I trust that Jesus has anchored these things. I'm going to go first. I'm not, I'm not really a leader. I'm really just a first follower. But in so doing, I'm leading. And I want you guys to follow me. Follow my leadership because I'm following his leadership. In the same way, uh, that's how we operate as Christians. We obey leadership that God has in place in so much as they are following Jesus. So by God's grace at this church and at any church you attend, the leadership should be such that they say, Hey, look, there's the summit. I can't do it on my own. I didn't put the anchors there. Jesus did. But I'll hook in first and then you guys follow me. You with me? By God's grace, that's what we want to see at this church and any church that is a Christian church. Because gospel obedience displays, ultimately displays faith in Christ. That's what it comes down to. Obeying Christian leadership ultimately displays faith in Christ. Trusting God. So obeying leaders as they obey Christ means that we obey leaders who are obeying God. You with me? Secondly, let's talk about another word that may make you flinch a little bit. Submission. Right? Submission. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Submission is another word that's been misused and abused uh, in our culture today. Oftentimes you may think of submission as like a wrestler or somebody like, you know, bending you and breaking you into submission. Uh, Maybe uh, you've seen it played out in unhealthy, unbiblical marriages where a chauvinistic male dominates and say, you will submit to me. Uh, That's awful. That is uh, misuse and not submission at all. Uh, Submission really means to, to come under the leadership of somebody and to, and to operate in specific roles that God has in place. Right? Jesus submitted to God the Father. Jesus was not weak. Jesus is God. So Jesus the Son submitted to the will of the Father and it displayed his godness in so doing. Healthy biblical marriages do the same thing. Ephesians 5, that says wives should submit to their own husbands. It's not a weak thing. It's actually wives displaying their beautiful wifeness, right? Just like Jesus displayed his, his Christness in submitting to the Father, wives display their beautiful wifeness as they submit to their husbands and as their husbands obey Christ and lead with gospel integrity. And so we see here, the scripture says, hey, look, if we're going to live a life of gospel influence, if we're going to live a life of gospel influence for, for God's glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would advance to the nation, starting with our homes and our church and our town, our work and our communities, how that goes out is we obey leaders as they obey Jesus. And that shows our obedience to God. Secondly, we submit to leadership as they submit to Christ, and therefore we display faith in the Lord, right? Submission is this beautiful picture of, of coming under somebody. And I was, I was thinking about this story. 
It's a beautiful portrait. If you like war and Old Testament, here you go. Exodus chapter 17. There's this just crazy story. Moses is leading God's people, right? God has set them free, and God's like, you've you've not done anything to deserve your freeness. I'm going to free you because I love you, and now I want you to go this way to a land of uh, promising you. You're going to follow this guy, Moses. Moses has a role as a leader. But God is the ultimate savior, right? And there's a a scene in Exodus 17 where they're fighting this guy named Amalek, right? And his army and God's people are fighting Amalek's army. And if you know the story, you know, Moses is standing on the side of the hill. And the Bible says that as Moses' hands were raised, God's people were victorious. But when he dropped his hands... The Amalek's army was overtaking God's army, right? And so Moses, the old guy, had to keep his hands in the air throughout the whole, uh, throughout the whole battle. I mean, he got tired. He's a, a weak man. He was just a man. And he got tired with his arms up. And so the Bible says that as he got tired, Aaron... Um, Aaron and a guy named Hur came up under him. Uh, they, they put r- rocks so he could sit down. And that Aaron took one arm and Hur took another arm. And they, they got underneath. They submitted to Moses' arms in order to help lift his arms so that his arms were up and so that God's warriors would be victorious. Now look at this picture. Everybody had a role to play. Moses had a role to play as God's mouthpiece and leader out of the Exodus. Moses had the role to stand on the side of the hill with his hands up, but he could not have kept his hands up on his own. It took Aaron to help lift one arm. It took her to help lift one arm. It took Joshua leading the army in the battlefield to fight. Everybody had a role. Everybody. Why? Because everyone submitted to the Lord's will, submitted to the Lord's structure for leadership. And what happened? They were victorious in battle. Could you imagine if Aaron said, I'm not going to serve you in this way. Your old man arm is heavy and your armpit smells bad. I'm going to go over here and get some more water. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hold your arm, dude. What would have happened? They would have lost the battle. Or if Joshua said, I don't want to go down there and fight. Good grief. I'd rather sit up on the hill with Moses, have some conversation. Right? And you actually see in Scripture where human leaders fail because they're broken. And imperfect leaders lead imperfectly. But in this case, as they were obeying and submitting to the Lord, and as the, the uh, manly leadership in place at the time was obeying and submitting to each other, we see that there was great success on the battlefield. And so this is what I want us to see. As scripture says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, we obey leaders in so much as leaders are obeying Christ. We submit to leadership in so much as they are submitting to Christ. And as everyone functions in their various roles, there is much success. I've said this before, and I will say it again until I drop. I'm a pastor here, but pastor is not my identity. It's my role. It's just it's my role for this season of life. It's like, I love my role. It's, it's just a, uh, such a joy. It's such a joy to be a pastor. But it's my role. My identity, I'm just a disciple of Christ, just like you. But my role is to do this. Your role may look differently. 
Your role may be to serve in the kids' ministry or to help set up chairs or to make coffee or to greet people. Your role may be to be in the home and raise your children in godliness. Your home may be to, I mean, your role may be to get out and get a job and make money for your family. I don't know what your role may be, but as you submit to the will of the Lord and submit to the structure he has over your life, you are bringing glory to God and gospel influence to other people. It's what the Bible says. And all of that is packed into the words obey and submit. So I want to ask you guys, isn't it's, it's, we see Jesus does this. That's why we do it. Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. Jesus submitted to the Father. If Jesus is God and he displays his godness through his obedience and submission, how much more do we, can we display as humans, mere humans, mere disciples, how much more can we display our faith by obedience and submission? You with me? It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. If you want to see somebody who uh, is not displaying their faith, it's somebody who will not obey and not submit. And it's, well, I'm smart. I'm too good for this. I'm whatever. No, you're a fool. If you're not obeying the Lord, if you're not submitting to the Lord, true strength, true leadership, true victory comes from obedience and submission to the Lord. Think Moses, Joshua, Aaron, battle. That's where we are. Think Jesus. So I want to ask you this. What roles has God placed you in for gospel influence? Like I said, this passage has to do specifically with church leadership in the first century, but the implications ripple out through the Christian community for centuries. So where has God placed you for gospel influence? Right? You may be a leader in your home. And God is having you lead your home in a certain way, men, a certain way, women, as wives, as moms. Maybe you are leading a business or leading a school or something in your neighborhood. I mean, maybe God has you leading in some way in this church. Because the goal is to submit and obey the Lord, submit to and obey the Lord. And in so doing, uh, we display the gospel to each other. The goal is not to... uh, rise within the ranks of the hierarchy and to be a leader. I've seen that too, and it's really sad when people are like, hey, you know, they're, they're serving the Lord in this capacity and seeing much fruit and bringing honor to God, but they want something else. You know, I've been there. I've struggled with that. I've, I've been like, hey, I want maybe this, maybe that. You know, bloom where you're planted. Thrive where God has placed you. Obey the Lord. Submit to Him. And uh, we have gospel influence. So think about the roles God has placed you in. Maybe He has given you an area to lead. Maybe He's given you an area to serve in obedience and submission to someone else. And that can be hard, but it's there for if that person is a godly person, that structure is there for God's glory and for your good. Right? You with me? Here's a third one that hopefully will not cause anybody to flinch. We have obedience, right? Submission. Good things. In light of the gospel, they're beautiful things. Thirdly, prayer. Pray for leaders. Because verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and without groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18, Pray for us. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know if it was an apostle or likely an associate of one of the apostles, a leader in the early church, we know. There was no signature on the original manuscript, so we have no idea. 
But we do know it was either an apostle or an associate of an apostle, a leader in the early church. Listen to the plea. I mean, he's just laid out 12 chapters of Jesus' greatness and superiority and this beautiful sacrifice of Christ that rescues us. And now we get to live a different way. And then there's a plea in verse 18. Pray for us. For us. Not pray for yourselves. We got it together. Pray for us. Pray for us. Friends, pray for your leaders, your current leaders that are in your midst. Pray for future leaders that are uh, raising up in the midst of this church and in the community. Uh, Pray for your leaders. Pray for yourself as you lead in other areas. Leaders need to be lifted up with prayer, just like Moses' arms need to be lifted up. Right? There's several ways you can pray. You can pray for joy. You can pray for integrity of mind and action and influence. Pray for fellowship. All of that is in these two sentences. Look at this. Pray for joy. Right? It says, pray for us, is what he says. But just a couple verses earlier, he says, uh, in verse 17, um, he says, they're keeping watch over your souls, those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. Joy. Friends, joy is not circumstantial. When things are going well, you can be joyful. When things are going poorly, you can be joyful. Joy has nothing to do with circumstances, but it has to do with eternity in mind, eternity in sight. It has to do with, man, it's cold and we're getting frostbitten, but we can see the summit of the mountain and Jesus has paved the way. Friends, this is an area that is very common for any leader, myself included, We struggle with joy. We look at circumstances, man. We say, wow, I'll just tell you, I wish we were already in our building. I wanted to be in our new building three months ago. And my naivete, I thought we would be in by Easter. What? It's like, here's the keys. Easter's in two weeks. Can we be in? No, Jeremy, we can't. Bummer. Right? But my joy has nothing to do with the circumstances of the building or the circumstances of Anything It has to do with, with eternity in sight and in mind, right? Pray for your leaders that they would have joy, not groaning, not, not leading out of obligation or guilt or shame, not this heavy thing we're trying to pull along, but rather joy because God is good. And we get to witness what's going on. We're all hooked in together. We're like roped in together going this way. Things may be hard now, but look what's before us. I mean, look what God has before us for eternity. And here and now we get to experience that joy. It's exciting. The writer says, pray for us. So you can pray for joy for your leaders. If you are leading anything in your home, in your business, pray for joy. Pray pray that the joy of the Lord will radiate through you, man. If you, uh, I mean, I don't know what your job is. It could be something that seems very tedious and repetitive. You can do so with joy. I met a man once. I did this discipleship clinic a couple of years ago at another church, like a little micro-conference. And, and I met a guy who's worked at a factory and literally goes in every, works night shift for like 20 years, puts on a hard hat and pulls a lever or something for like 20 years. And this man is burdened for the guy that stands next to him pulling the other lever. And says, that guy doesn't know Jesus. We've stood side by side for 20 years pulling levers. How can I disciple him? And that is beautiful to have. This guy's the happiest guy I've ever met. I would lose my mind at 2 a.m. pulling a lever. 
But this guy has such joy because he's like, hey, I'm getting paid. Not, I'm getting paid by this job, but more so it's a mission field. God has placed me in this guy's life. There's such joy when you have eternity in mind. But also, the author here says, pray for us, not only for joy, but for sharpness of mind and action and influence. Look at verse 18. It says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. That's a huge statement. We have a clear conscience. That means, hey, our mind is good before the Lord. Our mind is sharpened with the gospel by the Holy Spirit through God's word. We're being sharped with mental integrity. We have a clear conscience. So pray for that, for your leaders, that they have a sharp mind. What else the scripture says? Desiring to act honorably. Action. A leader who doesn't lead isn't a leader. A leader who just says, I'm a leader because I have the title of leader, is not a leader. It's just a person with a title and a bad attitude. A leader is somebody who acts, who does something, and you can pray that your leaders act honorably, that they do stuff. Do it. What can that stuff be? Scripture says this, in all things. That's where you see gospel influence. In all things. Can you pray for your leader to uh, teach with integrity? Yes. Can you pray for your leaders to coach four-year-old soccer with integrity? Yes. Act honorably with all things. You can pray for each other, for your leaders, that, hey, pray that uh, so-and-so can pull that lever with integrity at work tomorrow. Why? Because we pray for a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Not just church things. Not just missionary things. In all things. That means in parenting. Pray for your leaders that they would be solid men, solid husbands and fathers. That they would be uh, strong and joyful wives and mothers. That, that there would be men and women growing up in the faith for influence. Not only in church, but in all things. In areas of the creative arts like musicians and artists and business guys who were starting businesses and ladies who were running shops and just doing awesome things. In all things, pray that they are acting honorably with a clear conscience, with joy. Can you imagine the influence that the gospel would have on a culture if this happened? Just think about it. One of the greatest misunderstandings or disagreements I had with a pastor friend of mine. He and I are friends. We're great friends. Good friends. I love this man. And uh, he said, uh, well, if I had it my way, I would have everybody move to the same neighborhood and everybody would work for the church. I'm like, that's a sounds like a very fun Christian ghetto to me. Because if everybody lived in the same neighborhood, what would ha- what would become of the neighborhoods that everybody moves out of? Right? I mean, if everybody moved, if I told all of y'all to move to Forest Creek, I live in Forest Creek. Dude, it's an awesome neighborhood. Let me tell you, it's so fun. I like it. There's snakes, there's turtles, there's meth heads. It's great. It's a very diverse neighborhood, culturally, religiously. There, it's a fantastic neighborhood. I love it. And you know, we can uh, we go. We went for a long walk last night, and we live near some a forest. Uh, and there was a homeless guy there. And everybody's like, "What? I thought you lived in Columbia County." I do. There are homeless people in Columbia County, guys. We are walking through a park, and there's a homeless dude sleeping under the boardwalk. I've seen him there before. I've talked to him before. Very nice man. Very friendly guy. 
right? And then as we walk back through our neighborhood, we pass a couple houses that doctors live in, a couple military folks, a plumber lives across the street from me. I'm a pastor. Very diverse neighborhood. If I told all y'all to move to our neighborhood, what would happen to your neighborhood? Think about the neighbors that you live next door to. It would be such a tragedy if Forest Creek became the central Christian ghetto in the Augusta area. North Augusta would not have any gospel influence. Downtown would not have any gospel influence. Grovetown, Evans, what would happen to this city? It would be awful. Let me encourage you. God has placed you where you live for gospel influence. You live there not just because your house is awesome or your apartment's cool or your flat is groovy. It's because there are people near you that need the gospel. They need to see joy. They need to see what true biblical obedience and submission to godly leadership looks like. They need to see what obedience and submission looks like in regards to leading well. They need to see someone living a life of joy with integrity of mind and action and influence in all things. So where has God placed you to do that? A business, a school, it's awesome. Please don't move to my neighborhood. We can't be friends anymore if you do. I'm just kidding. Bloom where God has planted you. Here's one more thing I'll say. As you pray for joy, for integrity of mind and action and gospel influence, here's a very important one. Verse 19. Listen to the plea of the author here. It says, pray for us. Verse 19. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Here you have a person writing a letter to brothers and sisters in Christ saying, I'm lonely. I'm leading. I'm preaching the gospel, planting churches. Some people think the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, There are other theories of who may have written this, but all we know is that this person is saying, please pray for us. I mean, this truth of the gospel is amazing. It's beautiful. We're starting churches. We're raising leaders. This person may have been in jail. This person may have been on a mission trip far from wherever uh, his friends are and is saying, um, may have experienced hardship, maybe experienced persecution, may have seen friends leave the faith, friends fail in leadership and ministry. And this person says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Friends, we are roped in this together. Fellowship is important. The Christian life is not one that's to be led alone. Christian life is not something that's to be lived alone. Your faith is not an individual solo sport. Faith is a group activity. Leadership is a group activity. I'm not telling any of you to go to seminary and to come up here and start preaching. God may call you to do that. If he does it, follow him. If he tells you to know, go home and start a business or to go back to work and pull your lever or to go to school and get different training to do something else, you follow the Lord. What I'm saying is when we pray that God would use us for gospel influence, we're praying for joy, for influence. We're praying for fellowship. You can't live a life of gospel influence in a bubble. Get out there, man. Meet other believers who have been in the faith longer than you and grow in your faith. Meet other believers who are younger in the faith and encourage them to grow in their faith. Meet non-Christians. Love them. Serve them. Invite them over to dinner. Go to their house for dinner. Attend the events that they find valuable. Whatever it is that they value, you can connect with. In so much as it doesn't go against Christ's commands, you have great freedom of what that can do. 
So where has God placed you for influence? Where has God placed you? Who has God put in your life? How has God wired you for gospel influence? What hobbies do you have that can be used for gospel influence? If you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you have a shrewd business mind, if you are a dancer, if you have good teaching skills, whatever it is that God has given you to use is there for gospel influence. And so my hope and prayer for us is to take a step back and to assess what gospel influence looks like in your life. Who is leading you and who is influencing you in the gospel? Think about who those leaders are and pray for them. Pray for joy. Pray for integrity of mind. Pray for fortitude of action and that that they would be honorable in all things, not just the areas of leadership, but in all things, how they act at the store. Man, I'll just confess. I'm just going to confess. You know why? Because God is good. I have to tell you guys something that happened. I feel real bad about this. I told my wife I felt so upset about it. I got upset with somebody at Chick-fil-A Friday night. (laughs) Oh, boy, I did. I don't like playground bullies, hands down. I just don't. And I have four children, and they're six, four, and then twin two-year-old girls. And so when my sweet little lambs are being bullied by some ten-year-old on the playground, dude, I let him have it. And I talked to his mom first. I said, excuse me, you see what's going on over there? She goes, yeah, he's always like that. I'm like, that's not cool. That's not cool. You see that two-year-old? He just kicked down those stairs. Are you going to do something about it? I'm sorry. It's just how he is. I'll be right back. <laughs> I said, hey, little man, come here for a second. This is on. This is being recorded. Oh, my goodness. Pray for your leaders. Pray for joy. Pray for patience. And I just said, hey, little man, can you come here for a second? And he goes, yeah, what's up? I said, man, you're being a little rough on the playground. He goes, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. Look at me. I said, look at me. Those girls are two. They're my princesses, man. You better step off. This boy said something to me that I can't repeat. And his mom came in and she was yelling at him. And he just was sneering at me. And I looked in the eye. I said, I'll see you on your 18th birthday, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got a refill on my diet lemonade. And sat down and felt like such a jerk, man. Because that lady had her hands full with four boys who were giving her heck. And as she loaded the people, the, her kids into the car, I had my kids, and I just said, excuse me, ma'am. I said, I'm real sorry if that came out wrong. I said, I wasn't trying to parent your child for you. And she goes, no, it's okay. I just got my hands full. And I could tell as she got into her car, I think she, she may have been a single mom. I don't know. She, all I could tell was that she didn't have anybody helping her. And I felt like such a jerk, man. I got in the car. I told my wife, I said, I'm a horrible person. I mean, I was defending my children as I should but I failed to see the big picture of here's a mom in crisis. And, uh, man, I just feel like a jerk. So y'all can just pray for me. I, I seriously drove away just praying that God would let me see this person again. I was like, I just, I'm just i going to go back to that. We go to that Chick-fil-A all the time. I'll probably see her again. And uh, if you guys know any woman that just said, that, this jerk of a man like spoke to my son. If you're here today, I'm sorry. <laughs> but all that to say is this. Imperfect leaders lead imperfectly. I'm an imperfect man. 
the elders of this church are imperfect people. Um, but by God's grace, we are looking to Christ, who has gone before us to summit the mountain. And we're trying to hook in where he's, hooked, where he's placed those bolts for us to hook in. And we're trying to invite you guys along. Pray for us. We want joy. We want integrity of mind. We want to do all things honorably, not only leading the church, but we also want to lead our families well. And we also want to serve the non-Christian community well at Chick-fil-A. You know, non-Christians eat at Chick-fil-A too. They do. And we want to love and serve them well, uh, no matter where we are. And so I would ask you guys to pray for that in, in our regards, because we're all imperfect and we're looking to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So with that said, I want us to uh, spend a time um, to think about who uh, God has placed in your life, who is influencing and leading you, and also what areas are you influencing and leading others. And we should be fervent in prayer, praying for joy, for integrity, for fortitude of action, and for great gospel influence and fellowship together. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, you were good. You were gracious to us. God, I thank you that you hit straight shots with crooked sticks. God, that you take imperfect leaders imperfect leaders like Abraham, like Moses, like Joshua, like David and Solomon. And God, you take imperfect leaders like Peter and Paul, and you take imperfect leaders like Jeremy and imperfect leaders like every man and woman in this room. And Lord, that we all together, imperfectly as we may do it, seek to lead with gospel influence and with gospel integrity. Lord, I pray that we would see the strength and obedience and submission to you, Jesus God, that you would humble us to submit and obey your will and your word as we see in Scripture. God, that we would be humble enough to receive instruction and correction uh, by your word through uh, men and women uh, of godly character. God, myself included. And God, that we would receive rebuke with grace and that we would grow in our faith. God, I pray that we would have great joy as believers, that we would have integrity of mind that we would have strong hands and feet to run and do the work of ministry in the home and in the church and our community at work and in school, that, God, what we do, we would do with joy, seeing that it's a place you've placed us to do gospel influence, Lord. And I, play, I pray for fellowship, Lord, that we uh, would combat loneliness with the gospel. God, that we can be different. We can have doctors and plumbers. We can have blue-collar, white-collar. We can have Columbia County, Richmond County, Edgefield, Aiken County. We can have Grovetown, downtown, North Augusta, whatever. God, we can have students, and we can have retired people. We can have parents, and we can have single folks. We can have whatever. That we are bonded together with the good news of Jesus, not the sameness of our life. But, Lord, we can imitate faith together. Imitate faith together in obedience and submission uh, to your will. And God, that in so doing, we would grow together and that the good news of Jesus would ripple out in our families, in the neighborhood, through this church, and to the nations. Uh, so God, I pray for amazing things to happen. And God, I pray that now, during this time of response, you would stir up our hearts to repentance. God, for sin, for failure, for brokenness. God, even unintentional things that have happened that we feel are outside of our control. Lord, even mistakes where we don't handle situations or tense interactions well. God, I pray that you would bring about forgiveness and peace through repentance. And God, that you would grow us to be people who are gentle and wise and humble and caring. And God, I pray that we would be joyful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir up our hearts and minds now. I gotta thank you for your kindness to us, and I pray that all things would be for your glory, for our joy, and the advancement of the gospel. In Christ's name, Amen.